Let's pray. Our blessed Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand this, your word. We know that all of your holy word from the beginning to to the end is inspired by your Holy uh, Spirit, that you have given us this word to build us up and to mold and to make us into the image of Christ. And as we study such an extensive list of names and peoples and numbers, help us, we pray, to find the wisdom that you would have for us from your Holy Word, from this passage that we would understand and believe and that we would embrace and believe upon Jesus Christ, that you would write our names upon the registry, upon that holy book, the book of life. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. That's some reading, isn't it? Some long reading. But I think you might rather me read through one really long passage instead of doing three passages on a bunch of genealogy. And by the way, how you expect me to preach that anyway? And I can't pull three messages out of this really long text. But as we look upon this, this is what we call a registration, an enrollment or a census. It's, very, it's something that we still do today. Um, if you're going to register for classes at a college for credit and you want to gain credit rather than just audit a class, uh, you have to register and you have to pay some money to register to, for that class. If you show up the first day of school and you don't have your name on that registration list, you can't stay and you can't attend that class and you won't be able to use that as your class credit. The same thing goes with registering or enrollment for health insurance. Some of us this fall have to re-enroll in health insurance in the fall, and, and when you do that, you have to uh, give money in order to have health insurance. If you don't put your name on the list, enroll and agree to one particular plan, if you have to go to the doctor or the hospital, they're going to make you pay out of pocket if your name is not on that list of health insurance, if you're not registered to have that service. Uh, in verse 5 of today's passage, it mentions that the officials and the people, they were to be enrolled by genealogies. In verse 64, toward the end, it says, Some of the priestly order had searched among their ancestral registration, but it could not be located. So here, we have the two words in, in the New American Standard. They were both enrolled or registered. They used both words. Now, you might wonder, well, why did they... Why were their records messed up? There's even a group of people that they couldn't even make sure that they were of Israel descent, Israelite descent, because they lost records for them as well. Well, my guess is that if, you were, if your city was besieged by Babylon and your city was surrounded and, and everyone was starving, and then later on when Babylon uh, breaks through the walls and they destroy the temple, uh, the first temple, I think that would put a wreck on your record keeping, wouldn't it? So that make, to me, that is probably a good reason why they couldn't find certain records because of that um, great ordeal that God had ordained as a punishment for the people of Israel. Now, as we get closer to today's text, some many years later, many, some decades later, uh, we find that uh, a new king, uh, King Cyrus, comes into power and then he allows the people to go back and to find uh, a home again back in their homeland in, in Jerusalem, in the land of Judah. 
So when Nehemiah opens up in this book, the people are already there. King Cyrus granted them to already go there, and there's a, a list or a group of men there who helped them carry, to, uh, carry them back. If you look at verse 7, the list of men there, those are all the men who led the people going back from, cap, from captivity back across the, the dangerous land to then go back and to dwell in their promised land again. Um, we find out in the beginning of this uh, book of Nehemiah that, that Nehemiah was the um, cupbearer for the king, or actually you could say the emperor of the people of Persia. And he served in one of the highest positions, most trustworthy positions in all of this empire as the cupbearer for the king. And God's good hand of favor was upon him that he was granted 12 years of leave to go back to the promised land to then help rebuild the walls and rebuild the gates that had been burned with fire. Now, the walls had gaps in them. They weren't completely torn down, but there was a great deal of repairs involved. Um, it makes sense that we find a, a census in today's passage in chapter 7. The reason is because they have somewhat of a breather here. Um, they went through a great deal of trial and tribulation to have these walls built, opposition from the peoples around them, and they finally had the walls built in 52 days at the end of uh, chapter 6. Chapter 7, in the beginning, it mentions that the gates, or new gates, were hung, new doors were hung uh, upon uh, those openings there. So they have men also set upon the wall to guard the wall. And that's why you could say they have a little bit of a breather. So it's a good time for this census here. As we look at today's text, the main focus here is that you are to ensure that your name is recorded in God's registration. And your name is recorded in God's registration. We'll look at this in two main points. The purpose of Nehemiah's registration and secondly, God's registration of the elect. So let's look at this first one, first main point, the purpose of Nehemiah's registration. If you look at chapter 7, um, the, the key here to understanding why this registration was done is in verse 4. Now this city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not built. In other words, there was a whole lot of wall to defend and not enough defenders. Therefore, they wanted more people to dwell in the city. And there were homes that needed to be rebuilt so they could increase the residents there. Um, if, by the way, if you have a massive wall, which the walls of Jerusalem were extremely massive, extensive, and you don't have enough people to guard it, that's a bad situation. And it could be. We don't know for sure, but it could be that's why the walls were broken down and the gates were burned with fire in the first place because they didn't have enough defenders for the city. Nehemiah doesn't want that to happen again. He wants this wall guarded. So the first necessary step in bringing people out from the countryside, and, and it does say here in verse 6, uh, it says that the registration of the Jews listed included the people of the province who came up from captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away, who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his city. Notice that that massive list of people that we read through were people not just dwelling in Jerusalem. The vast majority of them 
dwelled outside the city walls in the countryside. But he's trying to register the people so that they could then bring in people from the countryside, bring them back into Jerusalem. The fulfillment of this, of his plan, comes in Nehemiah 11. We're going to read a little bit ahead. Nehemiah 11, look at there, verses 1 and 2. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine-tenths remained in the other cities. And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Now, here's, here's the thing. If you want to do cast lots or pull lots to then bring people in, one out of ten would be selected to go and to go back and dwell in the city. But still, even after this point, nine-tenths of the people dwelled outside the, the city of Jerusalem. So that, we could say, was a success on Nehemiah's part. He had to first register the people to then come up with a strategy to then bring back portions into the main city to help defend it. Now David, on the other hand, you remember this very infamous incident, David, on the other hand, took a census of his people and God was very angry with him. And God judged David and the nation of Israel because of his deed in making a census. Now what's the difference here? Well, David took a census but his heart, you could say, maybe wasn't in the right place. He was, either, he was either caught up with pride or maybe presumption. Maybe he was trusting in numbers rather than in God. But the key thing in David's disobedience was God had not placed it upon his heart. This was David's decision. He did it without the consultation of God. But notice the contrast here. In chapter 7, of verse 5, Nehemiah recorded... Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the people to be enrolled by genealogies. So here, Nehemiah had it placed upon his heart, and by, because this is inspired Holy Scripture, that's accurate, that Nehemiah was influenced by God to make this census. He wasn't doing it out of pride or presumptuous or other reason. Why was he doing it? Going back to chapter 11, so he could then draw people back to the city to help defend it. So even though God favored um, and motivated Nehemiah's work here, there were still imperfections in the record, but it wasn't Nehemiah's fault. Look at verses uh, 64 through 65. There were some here who made claims to priestly lineage. It says, They searched among the ancestral registration, but it could not be located. Therefore, they were considered unclean and excluded from the priesthood. The governor said to them, that's Nehemiah, the governor said to them that they should not eat from the most holy things until a priest arose with the Urim and Thummim. Now, these two things, the Urim and Thummim, were something that the high priest could use as an oracle of sorts to get God's revelation. And in this case, he would need the... the uh, he would need the Urim and Thummim to then reveal to them whether these people were truly of the priestly line or not because their record of genealogy was lost. So the registration, verse 66, the total registration says that it included God's covenant people 
who had returned from captivity to, to be 42,360, verse 66. Now, if you add the servants, who were about over 7,000, and the male and female singers, you had almost 50,000 people. And that was not in Jerusalem, that was in the whole region of Judah. You could say that this was a large portion of God's chosen people, God's covenant people here. Now, those who were registered on this list, you could say they had a promise of salvation. Why? Because they had the Holy Word. Because they had the means of grace. They had the sacrificial system. But being of the covenant people did not equal having eternal life. We read in Romans 9, 6. They are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. In other words, just because you have a lineage of Abraham does not mean that you are automatically a child of God. Jesus said, I could raise up worshipers from the very rocks. And some who claim to have ancestry to Abraham, Jesus said, Abraham is not your father, your father is the devil. Because they sought to kill him. So we find in the New Testament that not all of Israel were truly of Israel, were they? But being on Nehemiah's registration, again, it didn't mean that you were headed for glory, but in a similar fashion, being on the membership rolls or registration of the church itself is something that you should desire, but it doesn't automatically mean that you are headed to glory as well. And we'll look at a little bit more at that in, in a second. Again, Nehemiah's record had errors. Again, parts of the records were lost. But there is a perfect, infallible record from God Most High that we'll look at next that has no, no gaps or errors whatsoever, and that's God's registration of the elect. God has a perfect registration record for those who are not just children of the promise, children of, of the covenant, but those who have eternal life in Christ, those who are elect children. And for that, we want to look at Revelation 3. We'll look first at Revelation 3. This is uh, regarding the church in Sardis, starting at verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know it at what hour I will come. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and will not, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So in verse 1 here, not all those who were members of the church of Sardis 
were alive in Christ. Some, it seems to suggest, verse 1, they were dead in sin. They needed to wake up to a true faith in Christ. So the evidence of true saving faith should not be something that we just receive and hear, but in verse 3, it, it should be marked with true repentance. Um, that's a steadfast endeavor to turn away from sin and turn to God. Now, the true elect saints in Sardis did not soil their garments with wickedness. And Jesus said of them in verses 4 and 5 that they will walk with him in white because they are worthy and that they would have their names not erased from the book of life. Keep in mind this. It's very important. You will never have robes of white washed pure and clean of sin until you go to glory. You see that in this passage. They will be given robes of white. So as much as we love to seek to grow in sanctification, we will never be made perfect until God himself grants us those robes of white. But you could say in a sense, if you have faith in in the Lord Jesus and you confess him as Lord and Savior, on that great day of judgment, God's not going to see your sin. He's going to see that blood of Christ washing you clean. So if you have faith in Christ, like we read in Isaiah 1 earlier, if you have faith in Christ, he will take those robes that are red and like scarlet from sin and he will wash them clean and make you as white as snow. Next passage to look at here regarding the book of life is in Revelation 20. Revelation 20, starting in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged for the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and, the, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. On that great day of judgment, there will no longer be an opportunity to confess sin. If a person dies in unbelief, rejecting Christ, rejecting his church, rejecting his gospel, that will be recorded in these books. Rather than the book of life, it's that other book, I guess you could call it the book of judgment, or the book that records the sins and um, the ways, the evil deeds of those who deny Jesus. So if a man denies God and dies in a heinous, wicked sin, that opportunity for repentance will be lost. There will no longer be an opportunity for repentance. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing more important than ensuring that your names are written in the book of life. How do we know whether our names are written in the book of life? Again, Revelation 20.12, as we just read, says, The dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. 
we don't believe in works righteousness, and I don't believe that this passage is teaching works righteousness. The one deed, especially, that people will be condemned for is denying the Lord Jesus Christ. If you deny the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and and Savior, if you do not love and embrace and worship Him by faith, your name will not be in those books, the book of life. Now, as you know, talk can be cheap. People can profess Christ with their lips but have their hearts far from Him. And I've met a girl in college once in the dorm. She said, well, I can just be very immoral It does because I just confess my sin and God will forgive me. I can live any way I want because God, I just confess my sin God forgives me. Uh, I guess they, she forgot that part in Scripture where Paul says, shall we sin that grace may abound? And he, in the Greek he says, morganeto, it's like the most powerful negative in the whole of, of the Bible. Absolutely, definitely not. I want us to turn to one last passage, uh, Matthew seven fifteen. As we looked at this for the, the reading of God's law, Matthew 7, starting at verse 15. Actually, we'll scoop, skip down a little bit. Yeah, to verse 15, I guess. Jesus says this, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. And then he goes on to say, if there are people who uh, say that, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So putting Matthew 7 in combination with Revelation 20 verse 12 the deeds that will be the ones that are going to be looked upon on that great day are not deeds of earning salvation, but deeds of evidence. The good fruit gives evidence that you are a good tree. The good fruit shows that you are rooted in Christ as a tree of the Lord, a tree that brings forth fruit to His honor and glory. So Nehemiah's registration list, it's strange. It's listed with a lot of really strange names that you might not remember after you leave here. You might remember a few, right? Um, Mordecai, Hezekiah, those men. Um, But for the vast majority, we're going to forget a lot of those. But this list here is given for a purpose, that these people mattered to God that they were in covenant with God, that they were His people, they were members of His chosen people that He sent His Son to die for. And you could say that God wrote these things because He remembers them. We might forget them, but he, and He would want us to remember them by studying it. But think of this. 
people might forget your name. But if you're in Christ and your name is written in the book of life, God never forgets your name. He remembers you that you are his and that you belong to him. God's people are never forgotten. I want you to ensure that your name is recorded in this book of registration. Again, Nehemiah's purpose or motivation in in this registration was that he could repopulate the city for its defense. God was in it, you could say, rather than in the case of David when God was not in it. But I believe this registration of Nehemiah brought glory to God. But it didn't mean that those listed here were automatically part of the, um, the, the elect. What's most important is that each one of you have your name registered in the book of life. The only way that you could have your name registered in the book of life is to embrace Jesus Christ with saving faith as your Lord and Savior. Registration for college, registration for insurance costs money from, for the vast majority of people. I know some get it because of financial help, but the vast majority of people have to pay money for registration. Now, the beautiful thing of the gospel is that Christ's work cost him a great deal. Suffering in hell, suffering the very pains of hell for his people, being raised from the dead, though, and then ascended to the right hand of the Father, your registration is free. You have to embrace Jesus Christ by faith. There's nothing that you could give him to earn it. You have to just humble yourself and confess that you're a sinner in God's sight. It's a free gift. Now, if that free gift is yours and you receive Christ, it will be evidenced by good deeds because a good tree bears good fruit. If you've made such a profession of faith before, if you're walking in his ways, rejoice. When Jesus sent out the 70 of his disciples to go out and to preach and to cast out demons and to heal the sick, some of them came back and they were rejoicing. But Jesus said this, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subjected to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. There's nothing worth rejoicing over more than that, that your names are recorded in heaven in that very book of life. Let's pray together. Our blessed Lord, we do pray that you would help us to remember the things that you have given unto us in your holy word. Help us to remember the wonderful truths of Scripture here that you have given us as your people, Jesus our Lord, that one and only mediator between God, you, O God, and men. Help us, we pray, not to trust in any other, but only upon Jesus Christ, that he has done the complete work to give us peace before you. And we ask, O Father, that you would bless each and every one of us We pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us, that your word would convict us, that we would truly have that membership, that registration in the book of life. For we ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For a hymn of dedication, I want you to turn into your insert and we'll sing together, O Thou from whom all goodness flows. Let's let's stand and sing to the Lord.